Hi, and welcome once again to the second Blank Page Book Club podcast. My name's Alan, and I'm going to be joined today by my friends Jen and John. And we are going to be talking about Helen MacDonald's memoir, H is for Hawk, published in 2014. And we're going to talk about memoirs in general as well, uh, some of the memoirs that we've read and some of the memoirs that we wish existed. Um, you might find that the sound quality on this podcast uh, is a little rough. I apologise for that. There were some microphone issues. But nevertheless, I hope you can enjoy this podcast um, on H's for Hawk and uh, memoirs. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening once again. I am here with Jen. Hello. And John. Hi. Hi. Uh, right. Uh, today we're going to talk about this book called H is for Hawk. That's H, not a H, as we know. Um, <laughs> is that one for Jess? <laughs> so that's one for the, for the language nerds out there. Um, H is for Hawk is a book by Helen MacDonald, um, teacher, professor at Cambridge, is it? Um, and also a falconer. And it's a non-fiction memoir about the death of her father and then her attempt to train a goshawk in the wake of that uh, event. It's won lots of prizes. It won the Costa Book of the Year and other things. came out in 2014. Um, spoiler, I think this is an incredible, extraordinary book. So that's what I think. Come back mm-hmm. later. Let's start with Jen. Um, I didn't actually know all that much about this book before reading it. I'd seen it, like, you know, propped up in Waterstones, and I'd sort of seen mentions of it in the internet, on the internet, so I knew it was kind of quite a big thing, and that it was getting a lot of acclaim. And, yeah, but I didn't really know what to expect when starting to read it, and it was quite different to what I expected, I think. I didn't expect all of the kind of... Um, well, as well as being her sort of autobiography, it's also a biography it is, yeah. of T.H. Uh, White, who wrote the book The Goshawk, and he's also more famous for having written The uh, Sword in the Stone. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was, yeah, so that was an interesting revelation. I um, think that's why it won, because it won the Costa book for, man, for, for biography. Oh, okay. Um, because it was considered to count as a biography of T.H. White. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wasn't expecting that side of things in there, but that was really fascinating as well. Um, I did find the whole book interesting, but I don't know if I would say I love it. Like, when I started reading it, I thought, this is, this is incredibly beautifully written. I love the style of her writing and, and the descriptions, and especially the personal stuff, when she's talking about what her grief feels like and what it feels like to be unravelling in that sense of sort of going slightly mad with the grief and those bits like really touched me I think they kind of resonated with some of my own experiences in my own life and you know when I look um, at the sections that I've highlighted as being my favourite bits they all seem to be those kinds of bits where she is talking about the grief um, I thought some of those sections were incredible as yeah, well like they're so yeah. powerful some of those I think um, for me the bits she was talking about the grief uh, really did ring true just from my own life I was just um, mainly the displacement of the grief through the hawk kind of I realised that I'd done something very similar to mm-hmm. her 
in my own life. Like uh, a few years ago, my brother died, and I completely pinned it on someone who was just complete, like all my grief onto someone who was completely unsuitable to for me, and just like someone I had no real deep connection with. But I was, felt like I was completely heartbroken over her, even though it wasn't. It was just my way of dealing with the grief. So her and the hawk really made sense to me in that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a passage where she says, um, Unseen need was motoring out through me. I was ravenous for material, for love, for anything to stop the loss, and my mind had no compunction in attempting to recruit anyone, anything to assist. In June, I fell in love, predictably and devastatingly, with a man who ran a mile when he worked out how broken I was. His disappearance rendered me practically insensible. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah that's, that, that, that <laughs> was it. That was, that was, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I know, <laughs> ditto. I was like, yep. Been there, done that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like I did it. Really enjoy that side of it. Um, I learned tons about training a hawk yeah. <laughs> and about falconry and, and and bird keeping that I would never have known otherwise. Um, but Which I think at times that became a little bit repetitive. I suppose that's the thing with training a hawk. You have to do these repetitive things again, thing again. again and again and again to train it. But hearing about it again and again. Like, oh, it's baiting again. Oh, it's baiting again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of became a little bit wearying for me. Um, and I did really like the biographical bits about T.H. Wyatt. Fascinating learning about him and the sort of destructive pattern where he was kind of displacing his own um, sort of anxieties and, and complications by training a hawk as well. Um, but sometimes the flow didn't always feel that natural between what she was saying about her own life and the hawk, her hawk and then going into talking about him. Yeah. So, looking online, I see a lot of reviews, people seem to either absolutely love or absolutely hate this book. It seems to be Marmite, and I'm going to be that awkward person. It's a bit <laughs> it doesn't like, really fit into either of that. Yeah, I'm in the middle. I, I, I quite liked it. There were parts I loved, there were parts that kind of were meh. And so overall it was like, yeah, that was a good book, it was interesting, but I don't love it. Mm. Okay. Can, John, can you see why so many people like it? Yeah, definitely, and I think, uh, can I shock you, Jen? <laughs> I like wine. No, I agree with you. I um, didn't find this, I found certain parts of this Marmite, um, but I think it's almost the inverse of you. I liked uh, the structure. I liked all the stuff about the Hawking. Um, I thought it was great, um, and I liked the different elements that she weaved together. But I absolutely loathed the style. Like, I just hated it. Um, and eventually it won me round. And I kept on thinking, if all the reviews started with, in this slim volume, I would love it. <laughs> like, if, she, if I was her editor, you know, I would have cut the shit out of this mm -hmm. book and um, everyone else would have hated it. <laughs> so basically, I can understand, like, this is a book. What was it, what was it about the style of it that you didn't like? What <sighs> well, I've, I just kind of, when I started reading it, the words... S's for shite came through my head, <laughs> but then I decided I was going to change it as P is for pretension. Uh, but again, I think both of those things aren't fair, but you know, they sound cool, <laughs> which she'd be down with. Um, it's more like, it's this weird mixture of uh, beige and purple prose. I mean, I was trying to put my finger on it, like, there's some really, she'll do these really, like, like incredibly, they're not. She doesn't write sentences a lot of the time. I realise she just writes these expanded noun phrases where she describes things. And I was kind of trying to tot up the number of times when I went, "That's really good," that's twice, and then the number of times I went, <laughs> just kind of like, "Please stop." Um, and I can see, like, I'm assuming she's a poet as well. 
Yeah, she is. Uh, and it's got all this kind of power. But it just, it just didn't, like, her imagery, the way she describes things, it didn't work for me. I've, I'm assuming it worked really well for a lot of people. But her sometimes, I think one of the things that annoyed me was that her word choice seemed inexact. Uh, Primo Levi Levy is my, one of my all-time he- heroes, and his thing is that you have to, as a writer, be completely in control of your language. You choose the word and you know why you've used it. Whereas I think a lot of this is very impressionistic and she's chosen things because they sound great. And there's an awful lot of repetition in this book. I mean, I don't mind baiting because that's a technical term and she's using it correctly. But, god damn, birds are reptilian, did you know? <laughs> but it was also, like, it was just all this kind of flowery kind of... It was Because it's so weird. I think it's because it's all written in the present tense as well. And I can understand why she's done that, to kind of get the sense of the immediacy, the kind of lostness of it. And I think that works that she splits between this. And there's, it kind of works that you're not quite sure why she's writing about white all the time, because she doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And that's really great. But... Just, I just like, I just think she's writing all this language. It's really, it's irritating me, and I just don't think she's that good at it. Um, but then I come from a completely different school um, from her, and I think like the people who have done it, it just didn't work for me. But I think a lot of, you know, I'm sure Alan, you'll get a few quotes out that you think are absolutely beautiful. And <laughs> um, it's just not me, and it's not that I just want everything to be beige and blah blah blah. I just don't. I think it just needs to be really well chosen, and there was too much of it. It was just too much, you know, I just felt like I could really easily write a parody of this book, you know, <laughs> which, you know, like The Guardian, where they do every week, <laughs> you kind of get, it had a real style, but I think you could have out, you'd had a book that I really enjoyed, because I did really enjoy this book, actually, in the end, because I think what I had to say was important, but just the way it said it annoyed me, mm-hmm. and it kind of brought me on to what you were saying with Holden Caulfield last week. Mm. I don't dislike uh, Helen MacDonald, I'm sure she is a lovely person, but how you can kind of uh, not like a protagonist and it's mainly I don't like the way this protagonist talks um, okay that's so, that's my rant <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah I disagree and also can I apologise because With I that. hate do because um, uh, I know that you love this book and if I had a book that I loved and someone said that about it I would just be sitting there absolutely fuming no it's going, fine you don't, you don't get this how dare you not like Kurt Vonnegut you know it's, <laughs> it's alright I, th- I, I think one thing with the internet is that you realise quite quickly that everything that you hold most cherished and dear someone else thinks is just a piece of garbage <laughs> and you just have to become okay with that well, I don't, if you're I, not going to be I do not think this is a piece it. of garbage so I'm really I'm really glad I read it like I, I mean, I, th- I think I generally have less of a problem with what you would call purple prose. Well, it's purple. I, I <laughs> purple. With, with, with purple prose. <laughs> um, I don't mind it. Um, I, I like Angela Carter from Salman Rushdie and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with, with what people call flowery prose. If it's done well, and I think that it is done very well, I think that some of the images in this book, I think, are uh, so evocative and so powerful. And I think that what is happening in the book is that she's trying to talk about something that is quite... Uh, elemental, you know, it's a book of of elemental emotions, uh, of loss and grief that seem to bypass rationality completely. Mm-hmm. Um, just and and that's that's kind of where this hawk kind of comes in, in that she talks about wanting to be griefless and wild and untamable, mm-hmm. and how that for some in, in some sense that's kind of how she wants to be because she can't cope with real the, the real painful emotions that she's going through. Um, and th- th- there are certain lines that will that will stick with me where she talks about her grief being the size of a mountain in my arms. Yeah, that was a good line. Um, 
she says that uh, life will become a thing made of holes, absences, losses, things that were there and are no longer. And you realise too that you have to go around and between the gaps. I love that. I think that the one of the major achievements of the book for me is how she is able to use symbolism um, so masterfully. I think. I, th I just think it's uh, a, a, you, you, if you if you wanted to show somebody how symbolism can work, you should get them to read H's for Hawk because she's able to do so much with it. So that the Hawk, Mabel, her Hawk, stands in relation to her in quite complex in, in quite a complex set of ways. It's like she's got the hawk on a, it's like it's on a kite, it's like a kite, and she's able to ravel it, uh, unravel it and, and, and tether it closer to her and further away from her at various times. At times, she has it very close to her, so she identifies with it so strongly that she feels more hawk than woman, she says, at various points. Mm -hmm. And she, it, she takes it into herself in a way. And then at other times, it becomes further and further away from her. And it's almost like the hawk is a standing for her father or it's a standing for some emotions that she's having. Mm -hmm. At the end of the book, she comes to this kind of understanding that what makes it special is that it's a different species to her. And, it's, and she is not like the hawk. And that is something to be celebrated. But she kind of pulls it closer and further away symbolically mm -hmm. all the way through. Not only that, not only that, that would be impressive enough, but not only that, she managed to do the same thing for somebody who existed decades before, uh, you know, somebody whose life she was reading about, THY, she managed to do the same thing for his book, where she uh, sort of pulls the, the same string with him and talks about his sort of anxiety largely coming from, from his sexuality and his kind of repressed uh, desires and things. And she's able to not only kind of play with symbolism in her own life, but also in his life, and then kind of make a bridge between them. I think it's incredible, I think it's astonishing. Did you find it interesting that she, there's an awful lot talked about white sexuality, some of it you're just a bit like, the, the fact that he wrote um, a fantasy of the whole book about him spanking yeah. schoolboys, you're just like, dude. Uh, but there's n yeah. there is none of her own sexuality in that book whatsoever, apart from, you know, maybe subsumed into the hawk. I mean, I, I thought that was interesting. I don't really know what to say about it. But. Well, she, yeah, that Jen mentioned, she talks about a relationship, mm. but, she, but she, it's all quite hidden, it's all quite, it's not really mm. foregrounded, is it, in, mm. the, in the story particularly. I don't know, I just think that the way it uh, communicated something that felt quite primal and elemental was really powerful. I just, I just felt it, like, I felt like, it made me think about nature in a different way, it made me think about my relationship with the natural world in a way that I hadn't thought about it before, which is one of the greatest things that a book can do for you, I think, to make you think in a different way, see things in a different way, and I did after reading H's for Hawk. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's unbelievable. Did you think it was a subtle book, though, Alan? Subtle? Mm. In what sense? Well, part of my problem with, with it is, it is so... Here is the symbolism, let's do it. It just, it really kind of, I know, and it does, you know, you get the symbolism, but it really kind of hammers it home. Like, some of it is just like, she'd mention something, then two pages later, oh, look, you've got it in a different context. And I'm doing a thumbs up with my mouth open to say, well done, Helen. And it was just, it was just, it was a bit like, I liked it, but it was just, like, every time it was hammering, 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 hammering. And it's kind of like, you had all these different things, and I think, she, it, she could have said 
way more with less, which is ironic because most of the sentences are less. I don't yeah. know, but did you feel like it? There were just subtle parts that I'm not picking up on it because I felt lots of it was very sledgehammering. Perhaps, perhaps so, but then again, she's going through something that's very sledgehammering. That's true. I mean, she's going mm. through something that's absolutely dominating mm. her life mm. to a point where she t- talks at points where she couldn't go outside, forgot how to interact <coughs> with people, forgot how to be a person, and sort of sit in the dark with this hawk. Like, you, she's going through something that's utterly um, singular. And so I don't feel... I didn't think that was a problem. Do you think it's interesting that she wrote the memoir, like, she must have written it six or seven years after the events, like, piecing it together? Because mm. it's all written in the present tense, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of distance between what's happened. Yeah, because there's, in the, um, when you read the acknowledgements at the back, she gives thanks to Mabel, and says, like, Mabel had several more flying seasons, but then passed away over yeah. a bit of, I think it's some sort of alien virus thing. So she's obviously, yeah, it's quite a long time. And I think that might, that just allowed her to put a lot of artifice in there as well. Um, and that's fine, it's, you know, it's a work of art, it's not a uh, her just crying in the street, <laughs> which would be another way of, I mean, she says she does that. Uh, but, you know, it's, because we had a discussion before about, like, I felt it was a bit too literary. Yeah. Uh, whatever that means. Um, and you probably, I could get cast down for that one. But you said you felt like it earned it. Yeah. Because because what's being talked about is so important. Because what's being talked because it's her father who she clearly had a, a really positive, really close mm-hmm. relationship with, and because that is one of the most significant things that can happen in a person's life, and mm-hmm. because she clearly was uh, feeling this kind of grief very deeply and sincerely and profoundly, I kind of feel like um, I I didn't feel like the emotions that were expressed in all the way that were expressed were inauthentic or insincere mm-hmm. or or laid along too much, I just felt like they were an authentic expression of how she was feeling. And of course they were kind of reflected through a sort of literary prism, she's a poet, and and they're reflected through that kind of language. But for me, because she was also trying to write about T.H. White, and because she was trying to write about nature, you know, on the back of this book, it is classed as nature writing. Yeah. And exactly. because of all that, uh, I, did, I, did, I felt like I said, like, I did think it earned the right to do that, mm-hmm. and I think it did it really well. Um, the sec- the chapter where she goes to her father's memorial service mm. was uh, heartbreaking. Mm. Featuring a cameo by Alistair Campbell. Yeah, yeah. amazingly. <laughs> Which I had to Google that. I was just like, yeah, it kind of makes sense, but <laughs> yeah. Is it actually that Alistair Campbell? Oh yeah, it there is. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I I think it's uh, absolutely amazing. I think that's. I mean, if we're gonna, one of the things. One of the things I've read on the back, I think they're on the blurb, like there's just bits that will stick with you, and it's true. And I think the two bits that are going to stick with me from the book are um, when she's searching for her father's car that's been lost, mm. with like that kind of mundane detail, like that's something that would be so, like, you know, it's so, it would make me really anxious if my car had been lost, but like the fact that they had to go and find it after he died, mm. I think that's something that I'll think about. But also her father's fascination with planes. Just because, again, that's something that links to my like my own father's got a fascination with planes, mm. and I thought they were just two really nice humanising details. Yeah. In the that's what stick. Let me think of the wind rises. You know, the Miyazaki film. Yeah. Which yeah. which have been shown to my clients a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, are you a, are you a reader of memoirs at large in general? Um, Do you yeah. like to read biographies and memoirs? Yeah, yes. but mainly of rock artists not something that I am that's exactly what I was going to say as well. <laughs> not, not something I'm hugely uh, it makes me realise that not something I'm hugely proud of because you know there's probably way more interesting things to be reading about but one are, there, are there any ones that you'd recommend to the listeners well 
Yes, I mean there would be, uh, but I was uh, I'll, well. I'll talk about that. I'd say um, Bob Dylan's Chronicles, I think, is really a real great subversion of the form, and I never really realised it at the time. Uh, and the reason I'm saying this is because it absolutely fascinates me and kind of just sheds a completely different light on his career. Because um, when you read it, I really, really enjoyed it when I first read it. I thought this was an absolutely great thing. And the thing that was weird was that he chose to focus on five very disparate parts of his career and not the bits that you'd want him to, really, like some of his later 80s albums. And that was what you initially focus on. And then I read a review on Amazon saying, this clearly is written by not written by him, it read, reads like it was written by several different people, and I was just like, eh. And then it's come to light that the thing, the thing is almost wholesale quotations and cribs from other pieces of writing, from like nice. a biography of Monica Lewinsky, who <laughs> is included in it, some Jack London, which was like one of the obvious ones that was thrown into there, um, and he just it stitched the whole thing together, like from different quotes, from different from real disparate... Um, part of sources and still so it's another game for Bob Dylan fans to kind of put it together and it just makes me win wonder, you know, how's that related to the rest of his art? I mean is this his Ura text where you realise that everything he's ever done is stolen but in a really brilliant way. <laughs> because I mean and it made me just wonder about the nature of language in itself because words aren't our own unless you make them up. You know, like Burple, which is now mine. Um, have you copyrighted it? I have. Um, cool. right. But you know every word you're taking has some kind of context and then you have things like idioms and phrases he came together and he's taking even larger chunks and telling his own story in a way that feels really true um, but he's just nicked it I don't know it's just fantastic but what I did want to talk and uh, you can always cut me out or make me shorter is um, I think one of my favourite uh, examples because I suppose uh, comics are a small world especially independent comics so you end up reading a lot of stuff that you ne wouldn't necessarily read in terms of like genre ideas so I've read a lot of um, autobiographical comics and I just wanted to talk about John Porcelino, who's an absolute hero of mine, um, mainly because he's almost got the same name as me and everyone refers to him as John P the whole time. But it's interesting because he's got, the, um, he's got very similar kind of ideas to Helen MacDonald, very different way of going about it and a very different um, kind of way, way through life. So Helen MacDonald's an academic, he's mainly stayed blue collar and just making small comics. Um, and the book I wanted to, that fit most in nicely with H's for Hawk is a book called Diary of the Mosquito Abatement Man, where he just he thinks he's got his perfect job, like as a 19-year-old, he'd always see these guys driving around uh, where he lived in America at the time, not quite sure where it was, but basically putting pesticide into swamps to kill mosquitoes, and he'd drive around, and it's all done in a very, very minimalistic style. I mean, you couldn't get any more minimalistic unless it was stick men. Yeah. Um, and he just, and it's kind of like this dawning realization. He's like, it's brilliant. I get to spend all day driving around him in nature. This is so brilliant. I go into the. Then he just realizes that he's killing creatures for a living, and that's very like that's one of the things that Helen McDonald realizes that yeah. there's a very bloody when she part the of her workout hunting, and she realizes yeah. how much of a thing of death this is. Yeah. And but what really hits home there's this bit where there's because it's like written as little just snapshots of his time, and there's a bit where. Now he's spraying this stuff out into the night and he's been told it's fine for people. And he said there's an owl flying by him and it starts to follow him but following really strangely and like just kind of swooping and just acting because he's a bird watcher it's acting like he really doesn't um, expect it to at all. And then he just sits there and he says, and he kind of stops crying and he realises he's poisoning it. Like no matter what he's been told he is actually out there poisoning things. 
and he's like, you can't do this job anymore. And it's like this really kind of really beautiful realization, but like horrific as well. But I just wanted to. I brought a perfect example, um, which is my probably like my favorite memoir um, because it's about a boy who's really into indie rock who's incredibly depressed, <laughs> called John P. Um, but and it's named after a Husker Du song, and it's really it's just about going between college high school and university uh, which I think is um, a time that's really like anybody's ever done that and was stick very strongly in it's such a limbo time Yeah. and uh, there's just I think what I love about this is the exact opposite of H's for Hawks so it's very simply drawn um, and maybe we can put a little link to this picture in the thing uh, and it's just a picture of him lying on the bed and he's just trying to draw out you, so you can see it shows it doesn't tell his emotions and it starts just one panel of saying I've always been this way. He's lying in bed, hair too long, eyes shut, but I don't know why, kind of open, eyes open. I'm just sad all the time, gritting his teeth, and I don't know what to do. And it's kind of like, that for me is kind of how I like things to be, kind of just showing as simply as possible. And uh, I think, you know, that's just something that stayed with me forever. So John Pawson, you know, he's, it's all autobiographical, and he's my boy. Your boy. I give him a I give him a dollar a month on a Patreon. <laughs> nice. Do you have any, well, how about you, Jen? Then. Um, so are you a, are you a memoir reader? Not hugely, but interestingly, there's I'm going to say pretty much the same as John in that mainly I've read uh, autobiographies or memoirs of of rock stars, or I've read them in graphic novel form. That's <laughs> um, rather. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so I was going to mention there's uh, Marjane, uh, I think that's how you say it, Marjane Satrapi's Persepolis. Yes, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah. Art Spiegelman and Mouse. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, Alison Bechdel's Fun Home. Uh, Joyce Farmer's Special Exits. That's incredibly moving. Is that the Palestinian one? No, that's um, it's set in 90s Los Angeles against the backdrop of the riots. But what it's actually about is uh, her parents becoming increasingly elderly and, and fragile and reliant on each other but reliant on her and not wanting to have to go into care homes and just gradually deteriorating. And it's, it's terribly sad, but you know, I think it's again a thing that probably most people can relate to. You've had loved ones and family that you have seen get older and get into that kind of state and yeah. that was just an incredible. Um, incredible graphic novel. Um, Jeffrey Brown's series, I think you probably like them. Oh, I've, I've read Fully Misshapen Body. Sorry. I've, just I've met Jeffrey Brown oh, at a signing. Okay. Uh, and he, he sold me one of his books and drew a crab in it. Uh, I give him a copy of our album. <laughs> I just, I, I love Jeffrey Brown's mm -hmm. early stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then. It's, it's quite simplistic, so I thought maybe. Well, it's, it's more. Um, it's just he kind of lost me. I'm, I'm glad that he's doing well with his stuff and he's doing his, he's doing official Star Wars stuff. Look, I think if I read it now rather than mm. the 21 year old, like all the relationship stuff, it's just I just want to just shake him and shake him and shake him. Yeah, admittedly, I haven't read it but very recently. It was a long time ago that I read it, so it's yeah. like we were saying in the last uh, podcast about you know, would you still like things yeah. that you used to like now if you read them again? So uh, yeah, that's always the danger, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of outside of graphic novels, um, I really like Amy Poehler's autobiography that she released last year, Yes Please. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And I know it's not very cool, but again, back in the day when I read them, I really liked Danny Wallace's books. Yeah. Join Me and Yes Man were both really inspiring to me at the time about making me think, I need to say yes more often, and I need to do more random acts of kindness. I liked uh, Join Me. So I really liked reading the first Dave Gorman and Danny Wallace book mm. they did. And I was just like, why don't they work together anymore? Did you ever find this out? No. It's really hard to do, but if you Google it, it's because... Um, <laughs> Dave, Danny Wallace, uh, um, Dave, Dave Gorman's girlfriend left uh, Dave Gorman for Danny Wallace. Oh, right. Tittle tassel. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave Gorman as well. I enjoyed like his Google Wack adventure. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I really enjoyed Dave, Dave Gorman. <laughs> <laughs> um, on my to read list, I've got uh, Patty Smith, uh, one just kids, which I've got and haven't read, and. Um, I quite like books about food as well, memoirs about food, so I'd like to read uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. Mm. Um, yep. I, well, I'm, I'm not a great reader of memoirs. I don't know why, because every time I do read them, I really enjoy them, but I don't seem to read that many. I recently read Miles Davis's autobiography, speaking of musicians. <laughs> and the Miles Davis one is really, really interesting. Um, he is... is Almost, it's written as if it was just spoken into a tape recorder and then just transcribed directly from that. Um, so well, that's difficult to do in itself. Yeah, it? it's very repetitive. He he just repeats himself to a page later, but that's what people do when they're talking. Mm. I suppose at great length. Um, I liked the fact the the stuff all about the jazz scene, the bebop scene in the forties, is amazing. He paints this kind of amazing vivid picture of Fifty Second Street around New York at that time. Uh, I quite admired his. Uh, great sense of racial consciousness you know he's ahead of his time in some ways unfortunately on the other hand you, te you do get the impression he was quite the misogynist mm. it's, it's a bit of a shame because in other areas of sort of his awareness of society he was quite forward thinking but uh, the way he treats the women in the book is not admirable and that's his own autobiography although those are his words so there you go uh, the one person I did want to mention who um, I think is one of the great Memoirist is, I don't know, Edmund White. Um, he's absolutely brilliant, Edmund White. He's um, an American writer, he must be getting on quite elderly now, must be in his 70s at least by now. And he's written lots of memoirs. Uh, a lot of them are to do with um, growing up uh, as a gay man in America. He was involved in the Stonewall riots um, and he was involved in that whole kind of first wave of, mm -hmm. of gay liberation. A lot of his books are very sexually, very sexually explicit, so they're not for kids at all. Um, but he, he particularly how too many? Oh man, some of the stuff in there make your hair curl. Um, Latin borrow, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but he's particularly notable for this uh, trilogy of sort of uh, semi-fictionalized memoirs: uh, a boy's own story, the beautiful room is empty, and then the third one is called the Farewell Symphony. And the Farewell Symphony is the one that I thought was unbelievably good. I love the Farewell Symphony. And it's set around the AIDS crisis, it's set in the 80s, and it's that period of his life. And it's called the Farewell Symphony because it's named after a piece of classical music by Haydn, where one by one all the players leave the stage and stop playing until there's just one violinist left at the end. And it's largely about all his friends dying of AIDS. It's, it's a very powerful, but also really uh, exciting book. Um, he's, he's great, Edmund White. I'd highly recommend him. But yeah, I don't know, memoirs, I'd like to read more. Is there anybody who's living now that you, or, or dead now, that you would like to read a memoir by that would be interesting to read? I think I've already had the one that I would have wished for, which was uh, Carrie Brownstein's autobiography, uh -huh. uh, which I 
which came out at the end of last year, uh, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, and I've been obsessed with Slater Kinney since I was about 15. Um, you know how you can tell you're obsessed with uh, Slater Kinney? It's because yeah. you say your name right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been saying it wrong for years, and then I've found out, and I've trained myself to say it correctly now. Yeah. Just yeah. like uh, Mountain Goats, I think everybody I've ever met from the mountain calls John Darnielle. John Darnielle, and it's just one of those things. I do, and I'll continue to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fair. I'm just interested about that biography, because like, Carrie Brownstein seems a really interesting person, but she comes across as incredibly cold. I don't know if that's uh, how she comes across in a biography. No, it's, it's a lot better written than I thought it was going to be, actually. She's a really good writer, and it's really mm. interesting. It comes across quite honest and open and warm, actually. And, yeah. Yeah, it was a real kind of insight into her, and... Her growing up and her looking after dogs. Her looking after <laughs> dogs, yeah. That was a horrible, horrible bit at the end with the, the dogs. Actually, that's uh, a bit distressing, isn't it? <laughs> how about how about you, John? It's, it's, it's who's, kind of, who's your ideal memoir writer? It's kind of difficult to say, really, because I suppose a lot of my, you know, sometimes you're just thinking. The thing that most gets said about memoirs is self-serving. You know, I think Adam Partridge had it right with, uh, and needless to say, I had the last yeah. laugh. Yeah. But, you know, I'd like, I was just, is it like, you know, I'd like to see what Don Van Vliet, Captain Beefheart would have to say for himself, but then at the same time, it'd all be crap. So, yeah. that'd be, so I'm just going to, I mean, Bob Dylan already did it, and I think, cause what, I think what he did was so incredible, because I just think his life is just like someone who's had such an insane life that's interesting but Thomas Pynchon but then again mm. it would absolutely ruin it like it'd be if you got an honest biography from Thomas Pynchon unless he's actually had the life you've really wished he'd had you know <laughs> it's actually as crazy as you'd imagine it's just going to be really mundane yeah. and it kind of ruins yeah. his privacy and that is what he has he's not secret he's private so yeah, yeah. I, you? Um, I was thinking about this this week who, would, who do I wish would write a memoir and the answer that just kept coming into my head again and again uh, was definitely Kanye West. I would, <laughs> I would eat that up for breakfast. A, a bio, an autobiography by Kanye West. I think it'll be insanely entertaining. How about? Uh, I mean, just just a, a, cl- a collation of his Twitter feed. I mean, that alone is is amazing. But I'd love to read a book where he. And, and that's the thing you see. It would be it would be insanely uh, braggadocious, and it would be insanely over the top. But he's so, he's so aware of that. He's so insecure about that. He's so massively aware and insecure of that. It would also be uh, incredibly revealing. He wouldn't be able to stop himself. Yeah. I think it'd be superb. It, when I was thinking about that, it sort of reminded me of the time that I read Marilyn Manson's autobiography. <laughs> have, you, have you read it? No, but it's I can unbelievable. Just it's cr- yeah, it's unbelievable. It's called The Long Dark Road Out of Hell. Forgive me if I've got that wrong. I am absolutely convinced that eighty percent of it is made up nonsense, but it's it's ridic- it's insanely entertaining. It's yeah. really worth reading. Um, yeah, and I think Kanye's will be a bit like that. There's there's um, something on the AV Club um, which doesn't run anymore, but it's by uh, Nathan Rabin, uh, who's one of my favourite writers, called the Silly Little Showbiz Book Club, which is all about very minor celebrities writing their memoirs. And just basically, I think he's done like 30 in it and only one of them he says actually this is a secret work of genius. The rest of them are like Screech from Save by the Bell. <laughs> um, or the woman who played the mum on um, 
Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> and it, it, like he just puts in all these sarcastic comments, like, "Did you know she was the real genius in the show?" And no one really respected her. <laughs> the show wasn't about Will Smith at all. It was just. But I would highly recommend reading that, so you don't have to read. Uh, I think there's um, there's one memoir that I'd quite like to read, which is called "You'll Never Suck Cock in This Town Again," uh, which is about a cool girl in <laughs> in Hollywood. Which is. The only other thought I had was uh, Kathleen Hanna, my other Riot girl heroine, but uh, I think the documentary film The Punk Singer covered it so well, I'm not sure that the, how much extra there'd be yeah. in that that she'd want to reveal anyway, so uh, yeah, if she did do it I'd buy it and read it anyway though. <laughs> J.D. Salinger, my code Kane Hal. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay so um, I'm going to and we're going to end today with a poem. Okay. Um, and this is a poem by Wallace Stevens called Disillusionment at 10 o'clock. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, please uh, join us again next time. This is uh, Disillusionment at 10 o'clock. The houses are haunted by white nightgowns. None are green or purple with green rings or green with yellow rings or yellow with blue rings. None of them are strange with socks of lace and beaded cinches. People are not going to dream of baboons and periwinkles. Only, here and there, an old sailor, drunk and asleep in his boots, catches tigers in red weather. <laughs>